everyone, welcome along to Footy Talks, a little bit different than usual. Um, obviously, we've got KJ uh, looking resplendent. Uh, Stevie is... What, I'm not, what, what stadium is that that you're in, Stevie? I jumped on an aeroplane. I'm in the Maracana, Luke. Oh. I came across the Rio to Brazil just for this, uh, this virtual uh, footy talk. So here <laughs> I am only, in the stadium. You're the only one on the These guys are not practicing social distancing. <laughs> uh, and then we got Sir Alex Ferguson, who you might be able to see uh, is uh, the producer of the show. <laughs> so, yeah. believe it or not, we actually do have a producer on the show. Um, how are you guys doing? Doing good, mate. Yeah, can't be uh, co- too much for complaining at the end of the day. You know, we're being asked to live our lives with our families and avoid people. So, it's not too bad. Something that you do a really good job of, Luke. <laughs> I have been practicing for this for a long time. <laughs> So I feel I'm a bit of a professional social distancer, as you guys would know. Definitely, definitely. No, but this should be fun. I'm glad we could get together and have a chat and good on, on um, Kevin and Homestand Sports to organize this. It's always good to talk footy and, uh, you know, just hopefully be a distraction for an hour away from what is uh, a difficult time. Yeah, thanks to everybody online. If you, uh, if you use the chat form, you can actually send us some questions as well. We'll get around to it a little bit later on. Um, we've got a few different things planned, including... Um, we're going to do the pick your best 11 thing. Not, not your best 11, your favorite 11 from all time. Favorite players, yeah. 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 Not, sure, not sure what Stevie's got in his glass there, but I've got some tea. <laughs> of course, you're going to have tea. Red wine. Uh, stay with us for an hour. It should be good by the end. <laughs> <laughs> the ball's ready at the side as well, so I can top it up frequently. Nice. Um, it, it just reminded me with the fact that all these games have been cancelled and we haven't had to see, haven't been able to see games right now or any sports, of the fact that there have been some weird cancellations, postponements down the years, even some delays in kickoff. <laughs> and I know, I think we should kick off with one. Stevie, you actually played in a game where it, it, it didn't start on time for a very strange reason. Well, yeah, a very, very strange reason. It was the 2008-2009 season. And uh, we, we, we kicked off at Sheffield Wednesday away. Your great rivals, Luke. I think they battered us 4-2. I'm playing for Burnley at the time. And um, before you know it, next game, we're at home. Ipswich, uh, big opening day home game at Turf Moor. And so they had decided to try and jazz it up a little bit with some uh, parachuters coming into the stadium and landing on the field. Now, you would think a football field's a big enough area to land on, wouldn't you? But... One of the guys who was a bit of an expert, unfortunately, had a tough day, just like we did a bit later because we lost 3-0 to Ipswich that day. <laughs> he, he landed right on the roof of the, uh, of the stand, the, the cricket end stand. The away end, actually, right? The away yeah. end behind the goal. The away end, as you guys know, you've been to Turf Moor. It backs onto the cricket ground. Um, it's the away end. It's where the changing rooms are. The tunnel is. So we're getting ready to come out for the warm-up. And we're told, hang fire. You know, there's a situation we're a bit concerned. We ask what it is. You say, well, one of the parachutists is dangling through the middle of the stand. <laughs> of course, it was, it was never good. It, it, was, it, it was a derelict stand pretty much, KJ. So as we went out and looked, you know, I'll never forget the scene. I looked up high and his two little legs are just dangling. His body's at the top half. He's came right through the roof and his legs are dangling right through it. So he's, he's stuck there and the, the fire engines are coming. We're delayed in the changing room. Uh, everything's a laugh on their own coil. And the reason I remember it so significantly is because it was actually the, 
the Olympics that year. So it's 2008, August 2008, and it was a 100-meter final. So we were supposed to be playing when the 100-meter final was going on. I'm, I'm pretty certain Usain Bolt won the gold. And when they eventually moved them, we were ready to go out for the, you know, the delayed warm-up. Owen Coyle told the referee and the officials, hang fire, guys. We're watching the 100-meter final. We'll be out in five minutes. Amazing. <laughs> we delayed it even longer. We watched the final in the dressing room. We went out. We had our warm-up, delayed about 40 minutes and proceeded to get an absolute doing. We got, we got spanked, you know, by Ipswich on the day, which was a, an ominous start to what became a really brilliant season. That's a great story. Great story. The parachutist so that never made it to the field. What about you, Luke? You've commented on the many games. Have you had any of those moments where you've had to, you know, just have a, I mean, obviously the most recent one for all of, for us is Montreal with the, with the white lines. The lines. Well, the lines, yeah. Right? So yeah, the we, lines. And the, the best thing, best thing about that was, wasn't it, Stevie, was it the first, how many, that was basically yeah, one of your first or two or three games. games. Yeah. Five or six games I'd done, Luke. I think I'd done the, the, the Philly game, um, then was it New York after Philly? I can't, can't quite remember. You, I, made I your done... com- you made your commentating debut against Seattle, didn't you? Seattle, when you guys were doing the Euros, Jason DeVos was busy with you guys. You were in the studio. Yeah, That was a one-off. And then I think I did maybe, maybe, excuse me, a couple of games at the end of that season, regular season, and then right into the playoffs. So it's probably like my sixth or seventh game. Yeah, yeah and Jason, Jason, Jason had waited for, for years for some kind of playoffs. And then <laughs> you walked into an MLS Cup within five weeks of your broadcasting career. But the, the, the biggest game <laughs> was when we were tap dancing at the big old for like oh, 45 minutes. Just fill in time. Fill in time, yeah. I was right down by the side of the pitch on our, on our set, right behind the goal. And I remember where in the big old Montreal players walked out to come onto the pitch right by our set. So they're all gathering on our set, wondering what's going on. And some are looking, you know, some are giggling away. Some are looking just disgusted. Drogba had this look of stone. I'm like, <laughs> what kind of league am I playing in that they can't even measure the lines properly? Drogba was furious with it. But yeah, I remember we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. It was just a surreal night, but obviously a, um, and a very unique and epic start to what was a very special and unique uh, series for Canadians. It added to the drama, didn't it? Yeah, it just really made it such a special night and such an incredible two-game series between the, the old rivals. It was just, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't no. believe it. it. got the lines wrong. It's crazy. You talk crazy. about the reaction of some, uh, some world players or superstars like Didier Drogba. Uh, brings to mind, and it wasn't a long, it wasn't a huge delay, but it was a delay of about half an hour of um, the Whitecaps' first ever game in the, the MLS playoffs. So I want to say that would be 2012, right? Yeah. And, the, and they like went that. to play LA Galaxy. Galaxy away, yeah. They played the Galaxy away, and David Beckham was playing for the Galaxy. And fortunately for TSN, who was showing a CFL game at the time, um, it's a really important game right at the end of the regular season. It was, I think it was the, the Cats and the Argos. Um, fortunately for TSN, NBC was also, also showing the CFL game that night. So there was no danger of the game starting before the CFL finished because it was on both NBC or Fox at the time, maybe it was. And um, no, NBC and TSN. So it gets right to the end. And I think... You know my memory's not great, but I think it was like the last last moment of the game. They kick it to tie it up, and it has to go to overtime. So the players, the players are back in the locker room, just about to walk out, 
and somebody has to go in and tell David Beckham <laughs> that after his warm-up, this playoff game isn't starting on time because they're going to overtime between the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts. He never heard of them in his life, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. So for MLS had to go in and deliver that message to David uh, Beckham, but apparently it got through and everything was okay in the end. And they, uh, the Whitecaps won, of course. Um, that's great. Hey, from Victoria, BC, Jai Deep is there. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, this is awesome. Thanks. Uh, get your shout in early on, says Jeffrey. Loved seeing TFC 2011 on TSN. More, please. I think there will be some more uh, old games and maybe. Maybe even some old World Cups or Euros or something else coming down the line, I think. Hope so. Hope so. Yeah. Hope yeah, so. Yeah. Um, a question here from Jaeger says, if Euro gets delayed to next year, World Cup the year after, if both go on, will the extended summer tourneys two years in a row destroy the players and they'll get no, no real rest two years straight? Um, the good thing, though, with the way this is all playing out is that Actually, now FIFA moving the World Cup to December in 2022 is looking like a masterstroke. <laughs> <laughs> they knew it was coming. Yeah, I don't. I, I think these guys—they they play. Oh God, do they get three weeks off a year, KJ? That's about it. You know, they play every summer, whether it be a major tournament or international fixtures. Anyway, so I'm pretty sure they'll be ready for it. They'll they'll, they'll deal with it. They'll cope with it. It's it's not ideal, of course. Not, none of this situation is, but. They're very adaptable, these players, and they're so professional that they'll be okay. They'll be ready for the Euros next summer. Yeah, I agree. Just you know, take some rest now. Don't do so many keepy-uppies with toilet rolls and you'll be fine. <laughs> you know? As you hey. guys keep showing us on the videos. The hey, woman was awesome. Hey. One of the best I've seen, Luke. How, long did, that, how long did that take you, mate? The left foot finish. Hey, um, it, it was yesterday morning I did it, and it wasn't really very warm. By the time I came in, my fingers were absolutely frozen. I've been out there that long. But the annoying thing was, second time through, I actually, it was, it was incredible. And Hudson, my, my eight-year-old boy, was recording it, and he, he screwed up the recording, right? <laughs> right. So then, obviously, I couldn't get it, and I, it, took me, it took me a long time. But in the end, the left foot finish was something I'm very proud of. I've not seen yours yet, KJ. Hey, Luke, if it's anything like your sports center hits, it must have took a few takes. So <laughs> Go get it. That's not fair. Cause... One, of the, one of the main things I love about Go you is your, is your honesty. At least you told us that you didn't take it the first time. Go again. Uh, but Go to again. Steve, to Steve's <laughs> point, I, I, think, I think your point made earlier about the World Cup being a, a winter World Cup is fine. I think ultimately yeah. I don't think we'll have too much of a problem. I actually think if it all goes to plan that the winter World Cup in 2022 will actually might be even better quality because these players will be coming off uh, you know in the prime physically after yeah. pre-season and then the beginning of the club season rather than being at the end of a tired season so I think there's a, there's a lot of things that can work out to be a positive thing if we can but you know we'll have to wait and see and see how long this whole season takes for us because it's obviously yeah. quite a delay right Luke? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Jeffrey says, um, where do you honestly rank MLS 2020 in the global soccer hier hierarchy? The global soccer hierarchy. Wow. Well, it's really interesting. I think, you know, I've never been a big fan of trying to compare leagues after leagues. I just don't know how you go there, Stevie. At the end of the day, you've got obvi the obvious class of the tops of in Europe, which I think are, are magnificent. But how do you start comparing you know, the French league with the Argentine league and the Brazilian league. And that's why sometimes I, th I, I do get a little bit, uh, you know, I, I, I get a little bit 
annoyed at these bullish plans of statement and statements of grandeur from people in terms of MLS and the executives sometimes. We're going to be this league. We're going to be the top five in the world. We're going to be uh, the top three sports in North America in three years' time better than baseball. It's like just concentrate on working out what you are. And, you know, there's no real ranking system or league table to say that you're a better league than anybody else. Your league will let it speak for yourself. You know, it's a good question, but I do, and you've played in the league. And I think you would say that it's in a better quality now than it would be when you first started here. But just let the, just let the, the, the meteoric rise take its time, you know? Yeah, let it take its time and let it develop. And I got asked this question the other week, who would win between Celtic and, and TFC if they were to play in a match? And I said, well... Is it at Parkhead on a Tuesday night in November or is it at BMO Field on a Saturday afternoon in July? It's, it's a big point yeah, to make. On, because surely, surely Celtic would win either. No, I don't no. think so. I think that when you look at the conditions of MLS, it's a summer league, there's lots of travel, the quality's improving. I still think there's areas that need to develop, but you could say the same about uh, the SPL, with, with the, the league that Celtic play in. They've got gaps, they've got areas that, that they should be better in. And yeah. and so when you try and compare them, I'm with KJ, when you take away La Liga and, and Serie A and Bundesliga, Premier League, you know, I think often they talk about different leagues, Eredivisie or um, or some other leagues in Europe being maybe comparable and, and, and they see some similarities to, in terms of how prolific, say, a striker is in, in, in the Dutch league compared to MLS. They try and think it's comparable, but it's so different because of the the uh, the, the the difference in time of year when they play. So I, I just think that it's just a silly point to make. And, and, and t- until we can really compete in North America for the the marquee signing, the the, the top top players when they're they're choosing between a, a LA Galaxy and Inter Miami, a TFC and a Barcelona and a Juventus and a, a Manchester United the top five are going to be far and away ahead and the rest are pretty similar. It depends where you are in your career and what sort of challenges you want at that moment. The Club World Cup might have been a decent reason to be able to have a discussion, but yeah, the, the big expanded one that was supposed to be in 2021 that is no longer. Because at least, even though the, even then, it's not really a level playing field because it's at the end of the summer for the season. For this. Yeah. But you, you may have had an opportunity where a TFC would have played a Celtic in, yeah. in a, you know, or something like that. In that. So at least then we would have had records reference points but right now it's just all throw some stuff in the air and see what happens you're just guessing really yeah it is just guessing and it's uh, like why do we need to do it like let's just enjoy them for what they are the, 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 every league has its unique style and it's, it's quality players and, and great moments and, and we're part of one that's grown exponentially it's just brilliant to watch and it's getting better and we're now competing with our neighbours League MX and, and, and different nations in South America for these marquee guys, these big signings. What a step that is, Casey. Let's enjoy yeah, that. No We're getting some younger guys coming for Europe at, at more prime stages of their career. Let's enjoy that stage. And then maybe in five or 10 years, let's assess if they're close to challenging with the top five or six in Europe. Uh, talking of different leagues, Rudy um, asked a question, which league do you expect to return to action first after the break? He says, at this point, I'd be happy to support a side playing in the Easter Island Super League. <laughs> um, I was reading a great piece, I think it was on the score yesterday or a, a couple of days ago, about the fact that the Belarusian Premier League is still going on. Yeah, and they're, they're going to keep friend. going on. They're going to they're keep playing. The A-League is as well, behind closed doors, though. Um, I've been following that a little bit. But uh, yeah, if you want to pick a league, 
the Belarusian Premier League right now, although it said that the, the average attendance was 10,000 at the place, uh, the, the club that the article was on, and only 3,000 turned up to watch. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Who knows what's going to return first, but Belarus is still ongoing right now if you really need your fix of something. And they talked about, in the article, maybe some TV deals <laughs> coming along the way. So, hey, KJ knows everything about the Belarusian right-backs. So <laughs> any player no. anywhere around the world, Nope, not at all. Don't even have notebooks behind me for Belarus League, so there you go. <laughs> uh, I've been there, guys. I went there for an international, I think, maybe around about 2007. And we played there. I didn't play. I was on the substitutes bench, but I think we drew 0-0 with them. It was a tough game. Great <laughs> great place to play, great place to visit. But um, I've never watched a domestic game there, unfortunately. No. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I think all the leagues are going to probably get in- come under severe pressure to stop pretty soon anyway yeah. at, at this point but i was seeing some things online the great things about online is that you know there's so many different videos to watch i was seeing different sports where they're showing their kids games from the past and the kids don't know what happens so they're like reliving the problem <laughs> that's brilliant i love it <laughs> that's a great idea i think hasn't been really... a great time for nostalgia though i mean I, I find myself i watched a tremendous tommy burns documentary a guy who, who coached me for scotland and from newcastle reserves and sadly passed away fight against cancer well, probably about a decade ago now and i watched the documentary on him and i had such a laugh kj reminiscing and and you know my brother was on it a few little stories and, and some right. guys that i knew we were some scotland trainings and some some things that i was part of and it was it was very emotional but i really enjoyed it because it made me remember what what a great man tommy was what a funny guy and uh and what an impact he has on us. And I feel like this is such a nostalgic time for everyone to reminisce and look back at, at things that they love, to remember where they were at that moment and, and try and maybe forget where we are in the current just for a, a few few minutes, few hours. Yeah, no doubt for me. that's I wrote a little bit of a thing on TSN last week about what we miss in terms of the live sport. And that's for me what you miss. But you know, to try and replicate it is try and, you know, watch the other things, what we've always been to, what we've wanted to watch in the past, keep an eye on things. At least we've got that ability to do that during this time. So it's not like technology has been shut down as well. So go and enjoy that while you can and spend time with the families. And that's what we're doing at the moment. But as you said, it's, uh, I think in the modern day world in 2020, no matter what business you're in and no matter what work you're in, it's all go, go, go and nonstop. And to actually slow down and take some time to just pause and reflect is, uh, it's important. And so it's kind of good to look back and watch some old games and old videos and old players, which I'm yeah. sure Luke will, will get to some of our favorites in a minute. In a minute. <clears throat> yeah, the, the only uh, the only Belarusian I really know is a guy called Peter Kachuro, <laughs> who played for Sheffield United between 1996 and 2000. He was a, he was an OK striker. He was an OK striker. Played for Belarus, um, then went to play for uh, a couple of teams in China. But he he, he played um, three or four years in Sheffield. But his kids went to my dad's school. And along the lines of your Roberto Di Matteo story, Stevie, with people, <laughs> people in the locker room telling people learning English the wrong thing to ask for, he came into my dad at school. My dad was the head teacher and his kids were in the school. He came in and they were, they were chatting in the broken English. And he just he says to my dad, um, I have to go home, have to buy some piss. <laughs> my dad's like, sorry? He's like, I have to buy some piss. He says, what do you mean? Turns out he wanted a pint of milk, right? <laughs> and the guys in the locker room had told him that if you want to get, if you want some uh, 
some milk, you go, and this is what you asked for. So I don't have to correct him there on that one, but I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's my Belarus Peter Kachiro story. Sandro has raised hand. Let's go to him for a live question. Sandro. Hello. Hey, Sandro. Hi, Sandro. Oh, you can hear me. Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, just to take you off the Belarusian stories, and uh, no, not, not that, we not, were done. We were done with the Belarusian stories. Say, it I, finishes at once. Took that further than I thought you would. Um, <laughs> I, going back to the progress of the MLS, and and just sort of you know comparatively, uh, how do you feel about uh, the movement to sign the younger, you know, Central and South American players, the Pellegrinis, the Piattis, and, and moving away from the sort of uh, end of the career Euro players coming over just to, you know, I, I, I don't know, add, uh, add punch. Do you think that long-term is going to be a good thing for the league? Uh, is it going to be something that will, will grow the MLS uh, to a point where they, they can compete at some level with, with the larger international clubs? Yeah, it's a great is, question. Is it a, good, is it a good thing to have some of the younger, talented South American players yeah. coming over rather than the Caldwells of this world is what we're asking. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be that specific. But, uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say Rooney. I was going to say Rooney. Rooney, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lesser, I, a lesser player. So. You know. no, that's a really good question, Sandro. For me, it's obvious. I think it's far, but it's a really good thing for the league. It's the way that it ticks a lot of boxes. I think it makes the talent on the field better collectively going forward to push the game. It, the tempo of MLS needs to be collectively raised a lot. For me, too many games at slow pace, and I know weather's involved, but, you know, South Americans do that everywhere around the world, the tempo that they raise. They also bring that grit and determination to win. I know it's a huge generalization, but it's just a fact that when you get around these players, there's just something a little bit about them, special about them. And I think already they also tick the box where MLS goes, okay, we want to be a selling league. We can't just be a buying league. Almiron's gone, Joseph Martinez right. gone as well. Um, I think if you scout properly, and that's the other thing, it ticks a box too. It puts pressure, Stevie, on teams to really scout properly and get them. And already you're seeing players come over here like Rosato who just went to Atlanta, Janelle who went to LAFC. Yeah. These players, they look like a real deal for me, Stevie. And as I said, the teams now have got to scout properly because the haves and the have-nots are getting bigger and bigger in MLS, aren't they? Yeah, and you have to think about you're buying an asset. So you're buying a guy who is going to come perform for you for one, two, three years, and then you're going to move them on, make some profit, and, and start and create that, that business side of the, the recruitment of your club. I also think that it brings a real hunger to our football as well, KJ. I think that, mm. that there's nothing against a, you know, an Henri or a Rooney or any of these older guys coming to MLS. I think they've played their part, Beckham even, you could say, in building the league and, and creating that uh, you know attention and... And, uh, and, and some eyeballs on the league. But they had done it in Europe. They, you know, they were coming for a different reason. Whereas these young guys are coming from South America and they're coming to perform because they know that this is probably the best shot window within the region to now get themselves to Europe and get themselves to some substantial clubs. Almiron was a, a big part of that with his breakthrough with Atlanta. He was sensational and then he moves to... Uh, Newcastle United for, you know, something like $25 million, whatever it was, $30 million. So it's that, that pace, that hunger that you're talking about, guys who want to excel, want to do well for their clubs to then either, you know, win trophies, of course, but then to step on to the big European clubs that we were discussing at the start of this show. 
Uh, Dan's asked a couple of Premier League questions. Uh, one is directly to me about my feelings at the prospect of the Blades qualifying for European competition. <laughs> Excitement, fear, also thinking the Europa League doesn't seem to benefit the English clubs that qualify like West Ham and Everton. Um, I'll take whatever European competition we can get for the Blades, to be honest with you. I remember uh, <laughs> when, I was, when I was just starting off in radio in in Sheffield in the mid-90s with Dave Bassett, the world's greatest ever manager, Brilliant. as as the guy that was in charge of the Blades. They played against Udinese in the Anglo-Italian Cup at Bramall Lane. Remember that Anglo-Italian Cup? Yeah. Complete waste of time. Um, but that was the first interview I ever did with a football manager was Dave Bassett uh, at Bramall Lane about the Anglo-Italian Cup game against Udinese. Um so yeah, that the, the Blades don't have a great European football pedigree. I would I would say, um, still we haven't played in Europe. Huge mates. club. I, I just said they don't have a pet. We've played a lot in Europe. <laughs> You've never played in Europe. You've never played in Europe, so you have no no European no, pedigree. zero pedigree. No, no, a little bit. Cup. That's not Europe. Cup. Does it count? Of course, it counts. It, did, Steve, did you ever play in the Intertoto Cup? You remember that one? I did. I got to the final of that with Newcastle and it was much maligned and people said it was a disgrace. You know, why would... Like, the older players, the experienced guys, did not want to play in it. But for me, I got some games. I was a young guy coming through and I got some games. I got some minutes. I played in Munich against 1860 Munich in the old Olympic Stadium. It's a, a great memory of mine. One of my favourite memories as a, as a professional player. Um, and we got all the way to the finals, so we were thinking, well, it was worth it. We're going to get into, into Europe, into the UEFA Cup at the time. And we played a team, a team called Trois in, uh, in France, and they were sensational. They beat us. <laughs> they beat us <laughs> on away goals. They gave us a doing. So we, we never even made it to the UEFA, but that season we finished in the Champions League place because, and I think you guys will remember, it happened to West Ham maybe this season or two seasons before. Well, they, they started the season like a house on fire. They were totally prepared. They were fit as fiddles. They had play, been playing competitive games since, uh, you know, early early July. Same for us. And we started the season flying, whereas West Ham the season before, they, they dipped and they, yeah. they sort of faltered in the second half of the season. We didn't. We kept going. And I, I'm sure we finished fourth that year. But I, I put a lot of that position down to the Intertoto Cup. I thought we were just flying. We, we had Dyer, we had Janice, we had Bellamy, uh, we had Gary Speed. We had really fit players, that's for sure. But I think that that early uh, competitive action really helped us and allowed us to have a great season. Um, and you guys will laugh, but about the European, the European thing, like my son is asking me, can we go to Bramall Lane to watch the Blades play Barcelona, <laughs> right? That That is, it's, it's not going to happen, but it could, right? Yeah. It's not as unrealistic as it has been for the last however many decades, right? It's amazing. Does it, does no. it chance it could happen? No, there's not. Of course there is. <laughs> hey, KJ, the, the second part to Dan's question, unless there are two different Dans, um, and by the way... You Dan, can't hear me, Dan. Dan, can you hear me, Dan? Um, congrats to Villa, by the way, their longest unbeaten run of the season right now. Abs absolutely spectacular. Um, Dan says, KJ, as a, Villa fan, as a Villa fan, I really enjoyed watching the team last season. They played well consistently and the playoffs were exciting. Is it better from a supporter's perspective if they get relegated or do you think they can take a, st take a step forward if they somehow cling to survival in the Premier League for another year? 
Well, there's a lot to unpack from that question. Is it better for supporters? I think a lot of it comes down to the team that you're with. Look, it's not good if they go down. It just isn't. Um, you know, it's a team that believes that they should be in the Premier League. Um, obviously, founders of the Football League, founders of the Premier League, they believe that that's what it should be. Uh, so, no, they don't want to go down, uh, particularly when they've worked this hard. Also, because of the construction of the squad. So, they really exhausted everything they could possibly get out of the veterans last year. You know, Yedinek, Whelan, Hutton, lots of players that were done. Done at the club and needed to move on. And it was about restarting and refresh, whether they're in the Premier League or the Championship. So, they've gone and signed all these players and many of them have been okay. Um, some of them have been really poor. Um, not really been any, not, none of them have really been brilliant. Um, but the ones that they brought in have been okay. But if you go down, then suddenly your wages will go down and then you start losing players. Then your best player, Grealish, is gone for sure. I think it'll probably be gone anyway. And then you're back to square one because then you're like, okay, now we're going to sign players again. And the history of Villa in trying to identify talent over the last probably 10 years has been their biggest downfall because they've recruited so poorly, spent so poorly. Financially, they've been a mess because of it. And I do worry that they're a, bit, a little bit like that now in terms of the recruitment of players. So, uh, look, they're just going to try and stay in the league. Try and stay in the league and then build that momentum going forward. And, you know, there's, for me, they were, they were pre precariously close to losing their manager before this all stopped. I really felt they were about to play Chelsea. Uh, the way that they played the last few Premier League games away from home, particularly the way they start games. Uh, some of the fan base, as much as they love Dean Smith, because he is one of their own, literally a Villa fan, uh, grew up there and his dad worked in the stadium. It's difficult to go through that relationship if it's not working. But there were people starting to wonder, is he the best kind of man for this job? They were too open. So uh, look, hopefully they just stay in the league and can build forward. But uh, so I hope that answers your question because they do play a brand of football that I think fans relate to. Um, but as we've seen this season, Villa, Norwich, Bournemouth, these kind of teams that have done that, it has been a little bit of a problem down at the bottom of the league when you've got other teams who have been a bit more pragmatic, like Palace and Newcastle and uh, a couple of others have just looked like they're staying in the Premier League, even though it's nothing to be easy on the eye for sure. Um, just on that one, before we move away from MLS and, and uh, specifically Villa with related to this question from Luke Connolly, um, talking about the EPL break, which teams might actually benefit from this unforeseen break? Do, do you see it changing the bottom three situation? Um, I don't really know. I don't really see it changing too much of the bottom three. I just think, you know, who's going to benefit? Well, Villa will benefit because they'll get McGinn back if they start playing, you know, soon. I don't know about you. I just, my mind hasn't even gone to that yet. I still, I still really think there's a massive concern that the league won't even start again. I know there's talk today about them extending it all the way through the summer and then having a short break and try to squeeze as much in until the end of June. But with contracts expiring at the end of June, I just don't know how they're going to get all the games. So it's going to be very difficult. And um, I think there's a realistic scenario here that the season could be avoided and everything could just be, could just be stopped and no league is awarded. I really do think that's a possibility, Stevie. Uh, I don't. I think that it has to be finished. I think however long that takes, I get it with contracts and situations, but that'll either be fixed legally or I think you'll just lose players and you'll need to... You'll need to bring in others or, or do what you've got. It, it must be finished for me. I, I've been thinking a lot about this and, you know, you have the different conspiracy theorists saying this might be scrapped and that might happen. And I just think for the integrity of, of the Premier League this season and every season before and moving forward, it needs to come to an end, however long it takes. So um, I, I'm sure it will be. Uh, I don't know who benefits. I'm with you, KJ. I'm, 
who benefits? Yeah, maybe maybe a, a team who can get a, a certain starter, a star back into it. McGinn is a good example of that. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think right now if there's anybody else down near the bottom that would get a, a sort of a, a superstar back. So I don't think anybody benefits. I think everybody's just kind of twiddling their fingers, trying to stay fit, trying to stay focused as much as they can, thinking that this is probably going to be at least a few weeks, at least. And uh, and so the timing with, with football players is everything. It's, it's, it's more about peaking at the right time. So for me, it's, if I'm putting myself in a football player's shoes and I'm thinking, right, I need to be fit, but I don't want to be too sort of ready. I just need to be um, in a position that I can ramp myself up quickly if we get a date and we get into a, 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 a you know a, a position where we know when we're going to start, so I, I think that'll be the most anxious things in terms of professional side of, of playing the game for most of these guys right now, and that their timings need to be precise. The guys that live on routine, and right now they don't have any routine. Mm. They don't know when they're going to get back into their training ground. Never mind play competitive games. So that that'll be weighing on a few people's minds, I'm sure. Uh, Mike DeLuca has got a live question. So if Sir Alex Ferguson, our producer, can uh, do the honours and get us going. We're not in Fergie time. He's gone. Fergie time's ended. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Ah, oh, nice. Just un un unmute, unmute your mic. Myself. Hey, there, there we go. go. I'm, un I'm unmuted now. I, uh, I think if... If I was thinking to what would be the day we'd all be online uh, a few months ago, I thought it'd be because of a snowstorm or, or <laughs> some other circumstance that wasn't uh, the one that we're currently in. But hey, here we are. Thanks for uh, spending a Sunday night to us. Kevin, thanks for organizing. It's brilliant to be online with you guys. Um, question that's kind of been on my mind is just, I mean, there's so many different things to juggle here. I play administratively from a footballing standpoint and so on. But leadership is to me this is it's a huge time for leaders within the clubs to really step up and show what they can do for the younger players in the squad for I mean players who are seasoned vets who who have never experienced something like this before but Stephen you touched on it a second ago with all these question marks looming about when are we going to get back to training you know how do I keep fit um, your total normal routine as a footballer has been flipped upside down how important it is for how important is it for clubs right now to have those leaders and those captains in the dressing room reaching out to their fellow teammates and reaching out to everybody within the club and kind of keeping tabs on how you should be handling yourself, how you should be treating your body during this time off, and how much do you think when and if, but hopefully when football returns, how much better off will those teams be for having those leaders step up and play a massive role during this time off? Uh, I think they'll – great question, Michael. I think that they'll certainly be – um, better prepared for, for, for when they're ready to get back or even through this this break uh, we're having the leaders and I'm, I'm sure every club has a communication stream organised amongst each other I think that they'll be on these WhatsApp group chats you know they'll, they'll be on an email stream they'll even be having some kind of video calls with coaches and, and, and captains will be checking in on players because I think this is more than just a physical thing it's obviously a mental health thing for a lot of these guys and, and having these youngsters, you know, cope with this situation. I mean, we're, we're all coping with it. The, the, the globe, the whole world is coping with it in terms of we've never experienced anything like it. But as a, as a young pro who's been, been just given everything to try and be at his best, to be out there on the field and is now asked to kind of, you know, 
train in isolation or train within his home or, or, or within his apartment, wherever he lives, it's going to be mentally taxing. So, uh, you know, the older guys, as much as it's new to them as well, I think they'll be checking in, making sure that they're feeling good, making sure that there's a level of communication there, whether it be on a FaceTime call or, or indeed just a phone call to keep these guys sane in some regards, KJ, because that to me is the biggest thing right now. The mental health side of it is, is really concerning and the, and the effects of that, because we're right in the midst of this uncertainty, I don't think we know the effects of that until it kind of a few weeks go by and it develops a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the mental health. It's the one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. I was with Luke last week at TSN. We were doing a show and talking to a few people and I mentioned it to Kevin Gilmore. And I just think, you know, ultimately these players, I don't think, and it's a great question again by Michael, I think players are, are so intelligent when it comes to looking after themselves. They're not given enough credit, really. Footballers at the highest level or any level, really, they know how to get through adversity. They know how to work themselves. They know how to keep fit. It's not about dipping down and seeing you later. I'm going to go and you know, let myself go for three or four weeks. They'll be ready. They'll have individual programs. They can communicate with people back at the clubs. All of that for the fitness levels. And these bodies that, that we're talking about, they need it. They feed it. They want that. They want, that's how they keep – but it's the other stuff. It's the downtime. It's taking them away from the routine that, worries, that would worry me, not just about footballers, but everybody during this time. It's difficult times. You know, you really rely on the people that you're with, close loved ones, and we don't know that some of these people may not even have those. So it's a lot of times where you're on your own, and some people don't do well with that. So I think mentally is – is the key thing here that hopefully the support groups that people can check in with and look with where we're chatting away for each other tonight and people can listen to us and hopefully footballers are doing the same within, within their own clubs all around the world because I think it's very important that these people are looked after mentally as well as physically. Uh, lots of different clubs are approaching it different ways um, in what they can do and how much they can do for their players. TFC were talking this week about the fact they – the players obviously can't come in, but they're having the TFC chefs send meals to the players. And they're also doing some online cookery classes with the chefs and getting all the players on FaceTime and getting them to cook their own meals and stuff like that as well. So there are different ideas that, that they can have to, to try and keep everybody occupied and keep everybody together. Um, but Mike's question was a great one about leadership, Stevie. Who was the best leader you played under? Oh, best leader I played under. There were so many, Luke. Um not always wearing the captain's armour. And I think that's what we have to recognise, that, you know, the best leaders lead because they're, they're good people and, and, and they know what good practice is. And, you know, I, I always think of Gary Speed, God rest his soul, who was, who was a brilliant leader to me and a lot of young lads. And, you know, Speed wore the armband for nearly every club he played for, including his country. But he wasn't necessarily a club captain. Alan Shearer was a club captain and another very good leader. But, but Speedo is a guy for me who, when Michael talks about someone who's going to check in with the youngsters and who's going to make sure that, that things are right with them and who's going to, you know, pick them up when basically they're down and they've had a bad game or two or correct them on something that they're doing that, that is just heading them down a path that might not be great for the, the development and the betterment of their career. Speedo was that guy. He was always there for you. Um, I, you know, if we had Bradley Orr on this call, who's a youngster at Newcastle with me, or Gary Caldwell, my brother, or Peter Ramage, who went on to have a brilliant career, or James Coppinger, who's still playing at, what, 38 years old at Doncaster, every one of these guys will tell you Gary Speed. So he's a name that, that certainly comes to mind. Warren Barton, uh, Rob Lee, there was the, the Shea Givens, the Steve Harpers, that was with my first club, and then 
I think of guys like Gary Breen, who was a, a different kind of leader, Breen. He was more of a, a quiet leader and, and not a guy who was so forthcoming with his, uh, with his advice and his words, but again, led by example and was, was someone that we all sort of looked up to because of his abilities as a player and because of what he'd achieved in his career. So there's always these guys, and if you're, you're a smart youngster, you're, you're, you're looking around, Luke, you're in that changing room and you're saying, who do I want to hang about with here? <laughs> who do I want to be near in the mornings at lunch times, you know, uh, on, on trips, nights before the game? And if you're smart, you pick the right influences. And if you're not so smart, then you end up in the wrong group and it can derail you a little bit. And thankfully, I'd like to say, I don't know if I was smart, but I was intuitive enough to realise I should have been hanging about with A guys. And, and they, they set me up for my entire career. I took on many things I learned there to every club that I ever went to. Uh, you, you talked earlier about some of the things that the people are doing, especially the pros. We see the videos of the kick-ups with the toilet roll, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if you saw the video today of the two Osasuna players, Fran Marita and Raul yeah, Navas, really and they live next door to each other, and they got a huge like um, I don't know, a row of conifers or whatever it is, yeah. and they're playing they're playing soccer tennis over the over the conifers. Um, did you ever live next door to anyone that was just as famous as you, Stevie? <laughs> no, I was always the most famous. Look, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> brother. I got away. I got away for the players. I always lived in strange places. Did I ever live next to? I lived in uh, when I was in Birmingham. Uh, Wade Elliott and I lived together, as you guys know. We, we, the second year, we got an apartment that was. We put our allowances together and went. Let's go for a big smart apartment. And so we lived. We lived in this. Oh, could go wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should have seen this place. It was amazing. It was like a New York style loft. It was thousands of square feet. We had a pool table. We had this zinc wrap kitchen. It was it was amazing, but it was like four apartments uh, above each other, so it was a small space in terms of the number of uh, occupants within the building. But we had um, uh, we had Ravel Morrison above us. <laughs> what could go wrong? So there I'll is. Tell you stories him in a minute. And we had, uh, we had uh, Mark uh, Fortune below us, who had been a teammate of my brother's at Celtic uh, and was at West Bromwich Albion at the time. So it was a bit of a football player's block this, but, but young Rav would be playing music at two in the morning. He'd be playing PlayStation with his mates on like a Thursday night at like two in the morning. And Wade and I would be wide awake. And Wade would be like, you're going to have to go up and tell him. So I'd go upstairs and, you know, the politest kid you could ever meet, Ravel Morrison. I know there's been so many stories about this lad, an absolute wonder kid with the football, but his career's never really got going, but extremely polite. And I'd go up my chat the door and he'd come to the door as if like, fancy you coming here. You're like, not a care in the world. And I'd be like, Rav, you're going to have to put the music down, buddy. We got a game Saturday. It's too loud. He was on loan at Birmingham with us and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, Stevie. I'll put the music down. Always so polite, put the music down. But it was like oblivious to the fact that you probably shouldn't be up at two in the morning on a Thursday night. So there was oh. there was some stuff that went on there, but there was certainly no keep you up. Uh, but Rav was a character and and a lad who who it was just such a shame that he could never get his talents together, KJ, because he would do things in training. Sometimes a guy scores a goal in training that's so spectacular. There's like a groan. For 20 yeah. other players, it's like, oh, what just happened, you know? And this right. kid would do that once a week. His talent was exceptional. He just, 
he could never quite get it together. I know he's still young and I'm still got my fingers crossed that it'll happen somewhere, but unfortunately he's never had a successful run anywhere professionally yet. He was with your lot, Luke, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was one of Chris Wilder's reclamation projects, but um, we were just too good. Didn't work for him. Is he, is he gone? Has he left Sheffield United? Yes. I think he's gone, yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say left. Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough, yeah, Tony, Tony Poulos. Yeah, Woody, Woody's here. No, Woodgate. Oh, Woodgate now, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went yeah. to Middlesbrough, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, we've only got about 15 minutes left to go, so do we want to do these, uh, the favourite 11s? Sure. Yeah. Let's, Let's do it. Pump it out. All right, do you want to do each other's at a time or goalies or what do you want to do? Yeah, let's go through goalies. All right. Well, yeah, but, 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 but there's probably different formations, right? So why don't you just do your 11? Well, to let everybody know how, what we wanted to come up with, we wanted to just come up with something where we were like some of our favorite players over the years and, and throw them in, a, in, a, in an 11. So it's not necessarily the best players we've seen. Um, probably most of the time it isn't. Uh, some of yeah. the players will be very good because of what we like, but this was basically something we had an idea where we get together put together an 11 and then it can obviously spare some stories as well to come off that as well. But all in all players that we liked a lot uh, during our careers, um, me and Lucas broadcasters slash fans and Stevie as a player slash broadcaster slash fan, <laughs> I suppose. Um, Stevie, do you want to go first? I will. I'll go first and I'm going to choose my goalie and my goalie is Walter Zenga, the Italian goalkeeper from Italian 19. I'm going to tell nice. you my story and, he was a fantastic goalkeeper, but Italian night, he was so big to us, KJ, was similar yes. in age, and we know that it was a huge tournament. And I just love Zenga. I can remember looking at him, I'm about nine or ten years old, and just thinking, this guy's just the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. He's got in a, a thick gold chain that would swing around, that would never be allowed these days. Jewelry's all off, but back then, Zenga just looked like the coolest guy I've ever seen. So I can just see him in that... That grey Azuri goalie top, Italian 90, hair's amazing. Class. The chain's swinging around and he's making saves. So my goalie's Walter Zenga. Love that. Love Walter Zenga. The only thing that annoyed me about Walter Zenga was the 1990 World Cup semi-final on penalties. It was useless. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember it live. And you go back and watch that penalty shootout, mate, he wouldn't have saved 11. <laughs> if any of them put like in the middle of the goal, he never moved. Yeah. I was so angry with him because I wanted them so much to win <laughs> against Argentina. And he was terrible. But yeah, as cool as a dude as you could ever imagine. That's a yeah. great one. Do you want to do your entire team or do you want us to give you our goalies? Oh, give me your goalie. My goalie is Mark Vosnich. Oh, wow. Yeah, Come Mark on. Vosnich, who was a crazy man for Villa in goal. But when, we were, when Villa became good at the beginning of the, of the Premier League... I missed uh, that. It's, yeah, <laughs> well, you wouldn't know what a good team looked like. If they, when they became really good, this team, and they, they almost won the Premier League. You know, there's something special about when you follow your team, and Wildman can actually relate to this right now. When you follow your team and you know that certain players are better than most people know, Mark Bosnich was class. Yeah. Them. Absolutely brilliant goalkeeper. Uh, brilliant shot stopper, great personality as well. And so, yeah, my goalkeeper is Mark Bosnich. I don't have a full Villa team, but there are some more Villa players to come. Luke? Um, my goalkeeper is somebody you've probably never heard of. But when I was growing up, um, I used to live halfway between Sheffield and Chesterfield. And when Chesterfield were in the old Division 4, their goalkeeper in the mid-80s, and then he came back at the end of his career in the mid-90s and got a promotion again with Chesterfield, was a guy called Chris Marples. And you'll never have heard of him, but he was a player that I used to go and watch a lot because I would, I would, as I was growing up, go watch the Blades or go watch Chesterfield because we were right in the middle. Sometimes I'd go to Hillsborough. 
Um, oh. And the other, the other thing, the other thing about Chris Marples was he actually also played county cricket for Derbyshire. He was a wicketkeeper. That's brilliant. So in the eighties, he would he would play for Chesterfield during the football season, and then I'd go and watch him play for Derbyshire at Queens Park in Chesterfield in the summer. So he's my goalkeeper. He never had the best keeper in the world, but he got a couple of promotions for Chesterfield. I saw him play football and cricket. Brilliant. A real life Ian Botham or Dennis Compton. Yeah. Sporting legend. Love it. Stevie, who have you got in, in defence? Uh, so my right back is, is Cafu. I don't think he can go much further than, than Cafu. Just an incredible football player. One of the coolest guys you could ever meet as well. You never heard anything controversial about him. He just kind of went about his business like, I always just thought of him as a, a pure football player. Of course, he was marauding. He got forward in that right-hand side. He was pretty much a winger. Um, I actually was watching the uh, some of the highlights for Scotland's France 98. And, of course, Scotland played France, uh, sorry, Brazil uh, for France 98 in the first game at um, uh, Stade Francais. And Cafu was there for the second goal. He was making that late run as he did sort of inside right KJ. Yeah, I remember it. It was Tommy Boyd OG, unfortunately, but uh, it just really made me think of Cafu. What a player he was. So he's my right back. Love that. You're going to give us your whole defence, Steve. Give okay. us your Maldini's give us my left back, Paolo Maldini. Yeah. Can't think anybody else who could be at that position. Just incredible football player, a guy that everybody admires as well. Two AC Milan guys there I've picked up now. And, uh, and I'll probably go, oh, it's tough for me to set a half, guys. It's, Gary um, Caldwell. Go, Gary Caldwell, yeah. No, I'm going to go Yap Stam. Again, one of my favourites. Right at that time where I was really analysing centre-halves and I just loved how powerful he was, strong and quick and good in the ball. And I'm going to go Marcel Desailly. Mm. And I, I love Desailly. He played midfield, he played centre-half. He was obviously another Milan guy, but uh, he spent some time at Chelsea. And the story I always remember was... Uh, Chelsea, uh, Newcastle, FA Cup, semi-final, 2001, if I'm not mistaken. And I was there as a fan. I was a bit young to be in the squad, unfortunately, but I was there as a fan. And the story that came for that game that Shearer told us after it was that he kept peeling on to Frank LeBeuf. It was LeBeuf and Desai at the back. And he kept coming on to LeBeuf to, to try and get some space. And Desai is saying the whole game, hey, Alan, why you not come to me? Why you not come to me? And by the 10th time, Shearer just turned to him and says, because you're too fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that story. He okay, kept so away from Desai. He had enough sense. What a player. Could love you that. Bring, That's great. I, I got to back three just because if I could, I could pick a midfield. I could pick a team of midfielders because, you know, I'm a little <laughs> bit obsessed. I'm obsessed with my central midfielders. So I've got about five of them in this team. So my back three is uh, Paul McGrath, who won player of the year for Villa. and Explained. Yeah, explained and obviously just an, just an absolutely incredible player. Just the reading of the game. He never trained, obviously, after a few years with his knee. Uh, he's one of them. Uh, another one is Ronald Koeman, who I uh, loved as a kid yeah, the, the, until he broke my, broke my heart as an Englishman when he pulled down um, for the foul and against, against Graham Taylor, got Graham Taylor sacked. Uh, basically. Do I not like that? Do I not like that? Yeah, but Ronald Koeman as a centre-half for Barcelona – uh, change of position and uh, actually when I went, last went to Barcelona at the new Camp I came home from the game and Barcelona TV was on in my hotel and I watched it and it was an hour special of Ronald Koeman goals just the amount of goals this guy scored and every, there was just like you know 
I just wish Alan Partridge was commentating on every one of them because there's just some absolute thunderbolts every time. Uh, but Ronald Koeman is there, and I have to put in one of my old favourites, Hugo Ekiok. Uh, Hugo Ekiok was oh. one of my favourites. Um, God rest his soul. And yeah, um, yeah what, another player, another example of a player that I just love to go watch live because I, I thought he was far better than most people. I didn't understand. He didn't get many England caps, but obviously it was a very difficult thing to do. But um, a brilliant defender who read the game really well. Him and Southgate were tremendous partnerships. So uh, that is my back three, Luke. I'm going with the back three as well. Um, Phil Jagielka. Okay. This is. Uh, what? Okay, sorry. It's your 11. Great guy. Uh, like him a lot from when he was first at Sheffield United. He came through the ranks at the Blades, was one of the first ones with a, a good pipeline now to get a big move when he went to Everton. Um, just good on the pitch, but great off it as well in terms of being that leader, being a club guy who will fight for everything, do the right thing by everyone. So he's one of them. Um, Harry Maguire is another one because of this. Uh, he's also a Blade. He's from Sheffield, born and bred, come through. Uh, the system, and now one of the best defenders in the world. Is everybody born in Sheffield on your lead, team? Lead England to the Euros. Um, and then my third defender um, is is a guy I never actually saw play live. I've only seen highlights, but I worked with at Leeds, and that's Norman Hunter, who, of course, was one of England's World Cup winners, um, was alongside him for three years doing games with, with Leeds, um, him and Peter Larimer. And he is just, for someone who has the nickname Bite Your Legs Hunter, he is the nicest guy you're ever going to meet. Just a genuinely great guy. Um, so that's my back three. Love it. Stevie, midfield. Midfield. So actually two of these midfielders were, were my managers at one point or another. On the right side, I'm going to have Rude Hullet, who again could play everywhere. He played through the middle, but he, he had a spell in his career where he played off the right as well, where I, I just thought he was brilliant. I loved him when he was at Sampdoria which was a bit of a kind of unfashionable time in his career, but it kind of re reignited his career and got him back on track. But just a, an incredible player. He's my gaffer at Newcastle. He was not so great a gaffer, but he was, uh, he was phenomenal when he would train and he would do things in training still that were, were exceptional. Uh, at central midfield, I'm going to have Roy Keane. Uh, Probably the worst gaffer I ever worked under. A, a crazy man, a <laughs> schizophrenic, a guy who is just ridiculous in every way when it comes to trying to coach players uh, consistently. Just just would lose it at the slightest thing. But he was one of my favourite players growing up, KJ. I was a bit of a Man U fan and I love watching them play and Keane could do everything. Uh, Barcelona has seen before us. A guy who was box to box then and then became a bit of a kind of whole midfielder, but was capable of playing right back, centre half, played everywhere in his career. Uh, beside him, I'm going to choose a, a Scottish player. I think you guys will know him, but he was he, his career never went the way it should. Charlie Miller. Yeah. Charlie Miller was a young lad at Rangers who was exceptionally at the world at his feet, Charlie. He was 19, he was in the Rangers' first team when it was one of the strongest periods in, in recent memory for Rangers. And I love Charlie Miller. He was a guy that, I think Charlie, I th Charlie and I were in the same Scotland squad when I got my debut in Poland. So I knew him personally as well. And, um, and Charlie was, was like so good as a, a teenager playing in that team. And I looked up to him maybe three or four years above me and I just thought, I can do that. If, if, if Charlie can get there, I can get there. So he's a real inspiration to me. Um, funny guy. Some of the stories, honestly. 
<laughs> one night he's playing for Dundee United. He's at Tannadice and they're playing Hibs. My brother's playing, and my brother keeps going back to get the ball really deep, and it's kind of unusual. He's got a shrimp ball for a set of half to go and peel off there back in the day, and Charlie's like, "Hey, gas!" And Gary looked up and he said, "I wouldn't go back there." And Gary said it was like he was going to tell me some revelation. He said, "Why not, Charlie?" He says, "Because you're fucking shite." <laughs> <laughs> I just that was the funniest thing. He's just giggling and laughing. He goes running away. So Charlie's one of my heroes. Giggsy on the left, obvious reasons. I don't think there's been a better left winger in English football in 20 years, and that makes up my my four man midfield. Four man midfield, tough to beat that four man midfield. I'll try. I got a five man midfield, uh, so I'll figure out how to play them all together later. But I've got uh, Zvonimir Boban as one of my favourite midfielders. Right. Uh, absolutely class Boban. Charismatic, ooze class, and um, you know, watching him during the nineties was magnificent. And you know me, I love my left footers, and the way he could just glide with both feet in the midfield was fantastic. Um, I have uh, my ultimate favourite, uh, Xavi Hernandez, who is my favourite midfielder of all time, easily. Um, tell the story once I went to New Camp to watch Messi and spent the entire game watching uh, Xavi just <laughs> run the game. Um, just an unbelievable player, arguably the best Spanish player of all time. Uh, arguably the best midfielder of all time, changed the way we see the game today. Um, I have David Platt, who was my guy in Italia 90. Platt on uh, the volley. Yes, Platt on the volley. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, great to see him represent Villa and then him score the 119th minute winner against Belgium. Um, so that was wonderful. Um, I've got uh, Fernando Redondo. Redondo, what a player. Absolutely magnificent. Again, another left footed player. Uh, so Redondo, again, ooze class. And, um, you know, so many different times watching him. I remember him destroyed Man United one time in the Champions League. Yeah, the remember the goal? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, remember that. But there's so many other times as well. I love my Argentine players as well. And Redondo is the other one. And my other one is one of my all-time favourites, and that's Lothar Mateus. Mateus, yeah, an incredible player. Um, you know, his, his performance in Italian 90 was one of the most incredible things. That stayed with me for a long time. One of the reasons why I love midfielders so much was watching him. People talk about his goal against Yugoslavia, the Thunderbolt with the right foot. His left foot in the same game was just as good. Brilliant from penalties, drove forward, uh, did everything in the game. Um, and also, I, don't, I, I, I had a soft spot for him because when England lost the World Cup semi-final against Germany, all the Germans piled on each other and all went crazy. And Mateus was the one guy who went up to Chrissy Waddle and went, sorry about that. So I always had a soft spot for Mateus. So that's my midfield five. And as I said, I'll figure out where they're going to play later. Luke? I, I figured you would have had uh, that comedian Schweinsteiger in there. I thought he was one of your boys. He was one of my favorites. He's, my, he's one of my, the, he's, he's been the greatest guy I've ever had to interview. My favorite interview, no doubt, Schweinsteiger, yeah. Um, I've, I've gone a little bit different. Oh, not, right? So... When you're talking about favourite players, it's over the course of time. So I've gone with a couple of current players as well in my midfield. Nice. So, and I'm playing with wing-backs. So I've got a 3-4-3. Three, three. We'll see how it goes. But we've got a couple of wing-backs. So I'm going with two Canadian wing-backs. On the left, Alfonso Davies. Because called his first ever game for Vancouver Whitecaps. Absolute legendary story. One of the best left wing-backs in the world right now. And one of the greatest Canadian exports. And just can't wait to see what he does. And on the right side, he didn't say it was an all-men's 11, so I've got Jade Revere of the Canadian women's national team, the right wing-back, young Canadian talent once again, teenager, came through Markham Soccer Club, which is a, one of the best soccer clubs that there is 
in the country of Canada. Directors, there, aren't you, Luke? Uh, Declaring interest, Wallman. Declaring interest. They got a very good board of directors, right? <laughs> so Jay Rivera is on the right. So they're my two wing backs, two young nice. Canadian wing backs. Um, and then my two central midfielders. One is Diana Matheson, great career for Canada. And um, one of my highlights of my broadcast career was calling the uh, Olympic run in 2012. And Matheson, of course, scored the goal that won bronze. So she's in there for that reason, but obviously the career as well. And then the one name you, I don't know if you've ever heard of, but this is a blast from the past. Um, when I was growing up towards the end of the late 80s, Sheffield United had a run where Dave Bassett got them promoted twice in two years and they ended up in the old Division One, and then it turned to the Premier League. And on the final day of the season in 89-90, um, they won at... Um, Leicester 5-2 to get promoted to the top flight on the same day Sheffield Wednesday got relegated. Central midfielder during that rise with the two promotions having come from Brentford was a guy no one had ever heard of until Dave Bassett brought him in called Bob Booker. And the whole of Bramall Lane would chant, ooh, ah, Bob Booker. I say, ooh, ah, Bob Booker. Right? <laughs> on and on and on. All game long. Right? He's a legend, always has been, always will be. He's in the centre of my midfield. So that's my four in midfield. That's a class. That's a different midfield, eh? That's amazing. Wait till you wait till you get to my three strikers. No, I can't. I just can't wait for this. Stevie, finish your team off. Oh, it's tough for me on strikers. I uh, oh, there's so many good ones, isn't there? I mean, you guys know my admiration for Henri, uh, Shearer, uh, ones that I played against Drogba. Uh, I'd be lucky I played against some of the best. Torres' spell in England was, was sensational. Suarez, Messi, Ronaldo. Uh, but I'm going to pick a couple of guys here that are a little bit off sort of what you would think because when you're playing against someone, and you know they're a good player, but you actually get shocked at how good they are. And, and you never forget it as long as you live, KJ. You get that lesson on the field. Um, and, and it just stays with you forever. Um, and it's special moments. And, and for me, one of them was against Alan Boxic, who was playing for Middlesbrough at the time, played for Lazio, Croatia, unbelievable striker. His feet were tiny. His feet were like this size, and he was six foot one. He was a big guy, powerful. And I played against him at St. James's one afternoon, and he just he just gave me a torrid time. I think he scored a couple of goals, one free kick, one... Uh, one header maybe, and he, he was sensational. His movement, his ability, his, his, his awareness. I just, I'd never played against a guy that good before. So it really stuck with me, that performance. And uh, the other one is is Dennis Bergkamp. Again, people love Bergkamp. People know he was really good, but I promise you, if you were ever lucky enough to play against him, he was ridiculous. His ability to find space and to bring other people into the game was, was just remarkable and his vision and his, his artistry, the things that he saw, the things that he tried, we can remember the goals were just just sublime, someone else. And he was also one of the dirtiest players you could ever play against. He would break your nose or break your leg if he could get the chance. He was so dirty, you could never believe it. I used to always wonder why he was so dirty and I figured it was maybe because people kicked him so much throughout his career, but um, Bergkamp was, was sensational and Alan Boxic and Dennis Bergkamp make up my team. 
Great play, great picks. I remember, I thought I'd saw Boxic play when I went to the 99 uh, Cup Winners Cup final, but I just checked. He didn't play in that game, actually. But Net, mm-hmm. Pamela Nedved did. I almost put yeah. Pamela Nedved in my team. Uh, some really good players in that team, as in that game as well. Uh, my front two, one is a Villa player, uh, Dalian Atkinson. Dalian Atkinson, who obviously everyone remembers for the goal against Wimbledon, when he obviously went through the entire pitch and then lobbed the goalkeeper and went over yep. and obviously grabbed the umbrella and the fans are all jumping underneath him. But what Atkinson and Saunders did was a partnership was, and you know, boards are like, it's all about partnerships. But Dalian Atkinson was incredibly underrated and still scored one of my favourite goals when I was at the 1994 League Cup final against Man United. Um, against uh, to, to start the game off, four came over, one touch, and then another touch into the corner. Uh, an outstanding player, and uh, God rest his soul as well. And my other one, I think, is one of the most underrated players of our last era in the last twenty years, and it's just finished. And it's David Villa. David Villa for me, who is one of the in, incredible player, one of my favourites, just because you could you could do anything you want. You could play as a nine, could play on the left side. Obviously, overcame injuries. Never really got his due until he went to Barcelona, but was brilliant at Barcelona. Almost single-handedly, and I know he didn't score in the final, but won Spain the World Cup in 2010. He was that good. He was, he was the best player in that tournament, despite what everybody else said in the awards that were given afterwards. And um, a player I love to cover in MLS as well. And, um, you know, I don't get too intimidated by anybody when I interview them, but I love watching them and love interviewing them. But it was great to chat with David Villa because I just know what he's accomplished. So, so many as you could pick and choose from, but I went with uh, Dalian Atkinson and David Villa. Luke? Um, my front three. Uh, that side I mentioned that got promoted at Leicester on the final got, day of the got season. got that cheeky grin on your face again here. Had, no, no. No, because at the time, at the time, even though they were playing in the second level of English football at the time, um, they were one of the most prolific strike forces in European soccer in the late 80s, early 90s. Brian Dean and Tony Agana for Sheffield United, right? They fired the Blades to promotion. Dino scored the first ever Premier League goal. First ever Premier League goal. Um, so they're two of my front three. And the third one is also a Blade, but he didn't have anywhere near as much success. But a, a guy called Alan Cork. Oh yeah. Alan Cork? oh, yeah. I remember Alan Cork, of course. Okay. Crazy gang. Wimbledon for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Then ended up at Sheffield United. In, yeah. in the in the in the run to the semi-final of the FA Cup in 1993, uh, Alan Cook had this long beard and he wouldn't cut it while the Blades were in the FA Cup run, and the beard was a huge grey beard and it was down to it was down to almost his bottom of his chest by the time the FA Cup semi-final <laughs> took place. United played Wednesday and it was the first time they'd moved the semis to Wembley because it was Arsenal Spurs and United Wednesday. Right. One of the best days of my life, even though Wednesday beat United in extra time, uh, Mark Bright scored the goal uh, in extra time. But the whole of Sheffield was at Wembley. Everywhere you looked, it was like people you knew, just all the way around, family, friends. It was just like to see 75,000 people move from one place to another. <laughs> and it just feel like you were in Sheffield in the middle of Wembley. was incredible. But Chris Waddle scored after two minutes. And then Alan Cook with his beard, Google it, look, like look it up. Scored a goal to make it 1-1. I remember just, it. Just before half time, um, And the guy, I was sitting with my sister and my dad at Wembley. The guy in front of me, this, he was rather large. <laughs> and he stood on his seat, right, to cheer the goal. And the seat tipped up and his leg went down the back of the seat, right? 
and he trapped his his leg. And in between, like he was he was in a lot of pain. The the, the guys at the security had to come and get him out of the seat, <laughs> but he was still celebrating the goal. So as he was like screaming about his leg, he was going, "I'm gone!" <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. It was fantastic. We lost in the end, but it was a great day. And Alan Cork is uh, the, the third striker I've got there of the three former blades. So um, you were sitting in the posh seats then, Luke, because you remember the old Wembley by, we the dog, by the dog track. They used to have the very first section. They didn't, they didn't have backs on the seats. Yeah. No, so it, was just, it was just red plastic seats. So there was no backs on them, remember? We were up a level behind the goals. So there were backs on. Yeah. We were sort of the second deck. There were. It was uh, below us was the uh, seats with no backs. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, this this guy would have been much better off if there hadn't been any backs on the chair. <laughs> took a few security and a, a few uh, other sort of inebriated blades fans to try and pull him out of the of the Yikes. seat. I love it. That's why it's so good. All these things, but it's all individual stories, right? What it means to you, what those players can mean, and the other stories it can bring of it. That's what's so special. I played with Brian Dean at Sunderland. He was my team for a few Dino. months. Great guy, such legend. A guy. He scored. He scored at. He scored a hat trick against Ipswich one in one of the seasons where like the Blades always started terribly, and yeah. then Dave Bassett somehow got them going second half of the season. They stayed in the top flight, and it was I would say late December or January, and we were in a real mess. And we beat Ipswich at home three 0 They were also in the relegation zone, and I'm sitting in the south stand. Brian Dean completes his hat trick, turns to me, and comes and, and celebrates right in front of me and just like points right at me, right <laughs> as he's going. Right, so he was absolute legend. But listen, we're we're nine minutes into stoppage Fergie time, so we're uh, we've gone well over right now. The referee Howard Webb is waiting to blow the whistle right now, (laughs) and um, and people at MLS hoping that they're still awake at the end of the uh, the nine minutes of stoppage time. Not anyone falling asleep during the game. (laughs) (laughs) Can't have that, can we? I got to get the kids to bed. Right, we'll let you get going then. Um, yeah, everyone who's been on tonight, thank you so much. We, yes. we, there were some questions we couldn't get to. We should do this again sometime soon. Let's yeah. do it again sometime soon. Thanks, everybody, for, for spending the Sunday night with us. It is appreciated. Uh, we know, obviously, we're all waiting for the games to return. And as we do that, we'll try and keep you entertained and bring a small part of that for any time we can going forward as well. But uh, please stay safe and healthy and uh, take care of each other. Dan's Googled it. He says, good Lord, Cook was only like 32 to 34 when he played for Sheffield, but with his beard, hold on, I lost, he looks like he's in his 60s. Yeah, he did. (laughs) He ran like it as well, but it was a great, great goal. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Bye.